conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is back, as is Kent Garrison from Mad About Movies. Last time we spoke about Spider-Man 2, I believe, and now we're talking about the third movie. So Kent, what is it about the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies that really drew you to them at first? Hey Deanna, good to be back. Um, You know... I think it's a combination of things. Um, I think these are the movies that really kind of kick-started where we are now when it yeah. comes to, uh, you know, box office domination, where Marvel is. And, and you know, not necessarily just Marvel. And, and Marvel is the, uh, I don't know, the crown jewel of the formula, you know, that's been established mm-hmm. by these. But this one really, uh, you know, took us away from the the bad superhero movies of the nineties and eighties and kind of legitimized them. And, uh, you know, this is kind of the cross between the, the Batman movies of the nineties with, you know, Mr. Freeze and those, and then the Christopher Nolan, um, uh, Batman movies, you know, this was kind of a good bridge, you know, other than the X-Men movies that came out kind of during this time, this is a, this is what I think of as starting comic book movies and, uh, not necessarily Spider-Man three, but these first, three Spider-Man Sam Raimi movies uh, I hold in high regard. And like I said, part of that's because I was in high school during this time. A lot of it, I think, has to do with the fact that it was really one of the first times they were using CGI a little more, and it was advanced enough to where it didn't look totally horrendous on the screen when you were watching certain things. And I know you mentioned Spider-Man 3, maybe not the best example of this, but I really think Spider-Man 2 was sort of the pinnacle of this time period and of these three movies, quite frankly, because you have the first movie that's sort of the buildup and you're getting to know these characters. And then Spider-Man 2, you can really dive a little deeper into them. And Spider-Man 3 tries to do that, especially with Peter, but ultimately with Spider-Man 3, I feel like there were so many things that sort of went wrong story-wise to where I finished watching it. And I was like, you know, I remembered bits and pieces of this, but clearly I hadn't watched it since close to when it came out or whatever, because I was like, (laughs) wow, that was not good. (laughs) (laughs) I think Spider-Man 3 is just sort of one of those sequels that stumbles over itself a lot. And I didn't really find Peter all that likable as a character in this one. And when you have a character like Spider-Man, that's really the core of the character. Spider-Man is just such a likable character. And this third movie sort of took that and turned it on its head. And you're like, well, Peter kind of sucks in this. So why should I care? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with you that Spider-Man two is, is the peak of these, um, in several areas, when it comes to the story, I think it's the most well-established, the most well-executed story. In the first film, they established Peter as Spider-Man and how he becomes Spider-Man. In the second movie, he comes to grips with being Spider-Man. He has to face the consequences of being Spider-Man. Uh, you know, it affects his life in a very personal way, and um, you know, ultimately, he has to make a decision. And in this one, um, he's just kind of living life. Um, <laughs> You know, I guess they really try to concentrate in Spider-Man 3 on the characters themselves and their relationships now that we've had two films to kind of live with these characters. Mm -hmm. 
but that's not really what you want to see. I mean, this film, I what struck me on this last rewatch is just how how slow it is of a start of this film. You know, it's just so boring from the right from the very start. It's Peter in in school and with Mary Jane, and then you know he goes to school with a. Uh, Gwen Stacy, and then he goes to Broadway with Mary Jane, and it's like this extended musical sequence, and then there's a lot of like personal drama with him and and his friend, and so yeah, it's just really like it doesn't throw you into the world of Spider Man like you want to be thrown into the world of Spider Man. It really it has to win you over from the beginning of this, and it's followed by a really stilted CGI sequence with with James Franco and uh, the hoverboard where they're like flying between the buildings. Mm-hmm. You remember that sequence? Yeah. That one was, you know, you're, you mentioned CGI. I don't remember the, the first two having that bad or awkward of green screen CGI, but that's like, I don't even remember that sequence, first of all, from, <laughs> from my first, re- like when I originally saw this. Yeah. But this last rewatch, uh, that was as rough as a, as a Spider-Man, I don't know, action scene as I've ever seen. And... I don't understand. There's the physics just don't make sense in the entire thing. Like how Peter's basically flying through the through the buildings, you know. Even though he's supposed to be swinging, he's somehow like staying ahead of this like flying hoverboard thing, you know. And they're able to talk and look back at each other the whole time, and it's just like it doesn't make it an ounce of sense. And it goes on for so long. It's like, is this alley like thirty nine miles long? Like how long is this like alley that they're going down? You know, so. Just from the right from the start with this one, it really, you know, I think unconsciously most most people that are watching this is like, this is not what I want right now, you know? Exactly. The big action scene that I remembered was that final battle where you have Venom, Sandman, Mary Jane is being held hostage, and then you have Harry coming to help Peter, and you just have so many moving pieces in that. And it was, like you said, those previous action scenes where you're kind of like, Oh, I don't remember this. And you <laughs> right. can tell they put a lot of effort into that big final battle, but it's like they went too far with the action in this. They had too much of it. And you could tell maybe they didn't have the budget to have everything come out exactly the way they wanted it to, because I felt like the action scenes in Spider Man 2 were used a little more conservatively. And I think they did that to specifically make a certain point at a certain time in the movie. And with this, we already know that Harry is upset with Peter. So I don't know how much back and forth we needed between the two of them necessarily. And some of the action scenes, especially that one felt a little too long. I was like, wait, they're still going? Okay. All right, here we go. (laughs) And you're kind of just like, okay, we're a little exhausted by this. And the action scenes really didn't help advance too much of the plot until Harry hits his head pretty badly. And it's like, okay, we probably could have gotten to that a little faster. Because how many times did he hit his head before that one? (laughs) You know, they were throwing each other around so much. (laughs) He didn't hit his head until then. Okay. And obviously, with the symbiote coming into play, you have this personality change in Peter that makes him unlikable. But even before the symbiote came into play, Peter just seemed like an idiot. And it's like, oh my goodness, Peter, you just keep talking about yourself and Spider-Man. And he was so blind to everything Mary Jane was trying to tell him. It's like, okay, 
you really just took Peter and made him unlikable the whole time, even though technically you were supposed to blame it on the symbiote. Mm -hmm. But I did like that final action scene because it kind of tried to wrap everything up neatly, at least. And you have Eddie Brock with the symbiote now. You have Flint Marco, who ends up being actually a pretty, I guess sympathetic character by the end of it and you're kind of like wow am i feeling bad for flint marco right now and not peter (laughs) because that's kind of how that ending went and i would argue that character wise mary jane might be the most sympathetic and most likable this entire movie because she's the only (laughs) one who seems to have her head on straight right yeah you're like you're like rooting for her to find somebody else. You know, like you're better than this. You know, <laughs> and you don't want it to be Harry either at the right. same time. Right? You're like, yeah, Harry sucks too. Yeah, you're you're like, where's that astronaut guy from yeah. <laughs> uh, from Spider Man Two? He seemed pretty nice. Where's the other Jameson? <laughs> right. The uh, the funny thing, you know, about that is, I agree with you about the Flint Marco character and Sandman. To me, that's the only thing that really works about the movie at all is. This is that character, the introduction to that character. That's a great sequence. It's like a, it's almost like a silent movie kind of intro to him Mm -hmm. where he, you know, goes to his old house and tries, you know, I guess gets out of jail and goes to his old house and tries to meet his family, but they don't want to be with him anymore. And then he runs away and gets caught in that thing. And then that whole sequence with the locket and like him becoming sand is still looks great. And, you know, is emotional and hits all the right notes. And then that's really the highlight of this whole film, you know, you know, but I really feel a little bit bad for Sam Raimi here because, Mm -hmm. you know, the first two films were so successful that Sony really was like, you know, got a little bit cocky and, you know, tried to have their cake and eat it too, tried to have a film here with a, its own arc, but also set up future films. And, you know, their, their insistence on Venom is, is pretty well established that the Venom wasn't going to be in this at all. And, and they wanted that, but you know, Sam Raimi was like, well, I've still got this Harry plot line from literally the first film, you know, that's how the first movie ends is Harry going to become green goblin and, and seek revenge for his father's death and find out about Peter and all this thing, you know? And, um, but they're like, what about, what about Venom? You know, look at the merchandising we can do. Look at the film we can do after this with Venom, right? Uh, all this stuff. So that was forced in here, and then, um, and then you've caught the the Marco character as well. That I don't can't tell if that's forced, like if uh, if that really was the guy that killed Uncle Ben, or if they just shoehorned that you know convenience in to make it be like, why is this guy in the movie? Oh, he killed Uncle Ben. Okay, now <laughs> it makes sense, you know, because otherwise there's yeah. no point in him to be in this movie other than to, sh- to show like what we can do CG with sand, you know, like that. Seems like why he's in the movie because they th- felt like they could really do it justice with yeah. the visuals, and then like, well, how can we make the well? What if he killed Uncle Ben and Peter finds out about it and they have this big moment? Yeah, yeah, then then it could work. But yeah, I feel bad for Raimi. Like, th- I feel like he should get a redo on this one. You know, like if right. like a, the director's cut version or something, because I feel like if he made the movie he wanted to make, this wouldn't have been what it what it is. I do agree that I think Sandman was more shoehorned and kind of retconned into this because I was like, okay, it felt like they just wanted to bring up Uncle Ben's death again because that was the only decent way they could introduce this character. But I think a jailbreak 
alone might have been enough of a reason to introduce him because we know that these big bad villains are usually kept in a special prison. You know, you have things Mm. in Marvel like the raft or whatever it is. I'm not really sure which belongs to Marvel or DC at this point because everything kind of blends together, but they have these special prisons for villains who have powers and we know that every once in a while they get away. (laughs) So it's one of those things where because these movies were so new at the time with the way that Sam Raimi was making them, you kind of had to have that tie-in, I think, for people to not be like, oh, well, I already know they have a jail for the villains that's separate from whatever. And I think in this, they just tell, they just say he got out of Rikers, which is a real person. But mm-hmm. you have this character who is a much better villain than Eddie Brock's Venom or even Harry's Goblin in this particular movie. And I feel like you don't get to fully flesh him out because you have three villains in one movie now. And that's the downside to some of these movies. They kind of get in over their heads with how many storylines they want to try and connect by the end of the movie, because obviously all of those characters come together. You have Peter and Mary Jane, and you know, they're in their fighting stage and Mary Jane fake breaks up with him or whatever is going on here. It's so many things. And you have these characters who deserve to have their their own time and their own storylines that don't necessarily have to connect to everything else that's going on in Peter's life. And I think that's where we sort of see the downfall of some of these characters, especially Eddie Brock's Venom, because he doesn't even get the symbiote until what, like, 75% of the way through the movie? Yeah, yeah, like almost the last scene, it feels like it's like, oh, he's Venom now, you know? Yeah. And, and it's not like the audience doesn't know what the, what's coming, you know? Like what the symbiote is or what it's going to be, you know? Um, I think they should have introduced, you know, Venom way earlier into this. And maybe he shifts in and out of Venom throughout, you know? And like he's already Venom, but and then Eddie Brock gets the job, you know? And you're like, oh, that's Venom, you know? Yeah. And that that could have been really, you know, worked better. This movie actually made me want to rewatch Venom just to see the differences and <laughs> how they handled the character. Yeah. And I did recently buy it, even though it's not like my favorite superhero or anti-hero movie or anything like that. But I had a good time with it. And I think it's just one that I need to rewatch to see how they've decided to handle that character now in comparison to this movie in particular, because Venom is an interesting character. And there are so many characters that you can tie in with Venom. And Sony's obviously trying to do this Spider-Man universe while Tom Holland is playing Spider-Man in the MCU. So you have all of these moving parts with Sony right now. And it's kind of like, okay, you have Venom, they did Riot already, they're going to introduce Carnage, probably, it sounds like Scream is going to be in one of the movies. And I just find that character has enough story on its own to justify more screen time. So like you said, maybe Eddie Brock gets the symbiote earlier before we see him walk into the Daily Bugle and try to sell his photos. And that would have been a much better storyline. And you still could have had it attached to Peter for a little bit. But maybe when he interacts with Brock for the first time or something, it decides it likes Brock better. You know, there are a lot of different 
things they could have done to have him in the Venom suit earlier. Yeah, I totally agree. And, uh, I mean, not only do you have the Venom character to work into this, not only do you have Harry, not only do you have um, Sandman, but, you know, then they try to work this weird, like, borderline musical element into this, you know? And, <laughs> it was like, so bad. <laughs> I didn't forget, you know, I, I remembered that there's an awkward dance moment, but I forgot how, like... Uh, I guess consistent throughout the music musical aspect of this is like it's like they stop down a good every 20 minutes and they're like oh now we're just gonna dance you know yeah. it's like right when you forget about it it's, oh now Mary Jane and Harry are gonna dance in their apartment for two minutes you know it's a weird I don't know why they felt they needed to have that elements in this you know and then and the movie starts with it, too. Yeah, the movie starts with it. And then, you know, the, the scene that always gets me is where they go to, like, the karaoke jazz bar thing. And mm -hmm. Peter's like, hold on a sec. And then he walks over to the piano and he's like, Doo -doo 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 -doo, you know, and then they do that whole, like, La La Land sequence, kind of. And what's like, what is even happening? Is this a Spider-Man movie? I know it is, but it's certainly not what I signed up for when I when I came here. I want big action and and jokes and lightheartedness and uh i want these two movies that i loved to be wrapped up in a coherent way and it's just ooh, this is anything but coherent peter's ego inflated so much from the second movie to this one it was just such a shock i think for me <laughs> because even before like i said the symbiote attaches to him or anything he is trying to relate to Mary Jane, but he's just like, oh, I know what you're going through because I'm Spider-Man. And she's just like, oh, my goodness, dude. No, you don't. Mm -hmm. You're not even listening to what I'm saying. And it's just like all about him even before the suit makes him even more of a jerk. And you see that. And it definitely seems like his hair suddenly gets darker and it's like jet black instead of whatever color it normally is. And yeah, the, like, the hair flip. Oh my goodness. The hair flip killed me. I was like, Nope. There, nothing <laughs> screams like 2009 or 2007 more than that. Uh, the, that hairstyle, you know, yeah. it's like, Oh yeah, this is clearly 2007 when they're like, how do we infer that he's dark without uh, saying that he's dark? Or what if we like, you know that store Hot Topic? Yeah, familiar. <laughs> well, go in there and look at what the kids do with their hair and then come back to me. You know, <laughs> it's like, uh, it's very, oh, he's so unlikable in this. It's, it's borderline cringy, you know, how yeah. how much like I don't like him and want to see him like get punched by Harry, <laughs> you know? The right. scene that always gets me is the, at the beginning where they're at the like uh, Mary Jane's play and Harry's like sitting in the balcony he looks down at Peter and Peter's like mouthing the words to her and stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, this guy's such a douche. Just go punch <laughs> him in the face, you know? <laughs> like at that point, I turn on Peter and that is like, I don't know, five minutes into the movie. And then he never wins you back. You know, you're expecting like this big moment where, oh, it's Peter. Oh, he's back. Oh, this is the Peter we know and love again. Okay, everything's cool. And it never really happens, even at the end, you know? The way this movie ends is just like, that's it, you know, that was it. That's why I think they should do a, get a do-over or, you know, should have gotten a sequel after this too. Yeah, this movie didn't really have like the heart of Spider-Man in it. So you're just like, but wait, 
we didn't like Spider-Man. So, <laughs> you know, you have to let him have a chance to redeem himself after everything that happened in this movie. And we don't get to see that. You get a tiny bit of it at the end. But even then, you're like, eh, that's not good enough. <laughs> yeah, not exactly. It doesn't feel like it's over. And it's sad because, you know, that first Spider-Man movie has one of the great endings in, in in comic book movie history, you know, like he works this entire movie to get Mary Jane. <laughs> and when he finally gets her and she says, I, Peter, I want to be with you at the end. And you expect this big kiss. He's like, I can't do it with great power comes great responsibility. And he just walks away and you're just like, what, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and then like, it's so, it's such a great, you know, it's right up there with, I don't know, Iron Man ending where he's just like, I am Iron Man, you know, and it movie ends. It's awesome, you know, such a great start for the character to kick off a franchise. And same with that Spider-Man, that first Spider-Man. And this is the way this ends. It's just like he's basically borderline crying at the end. There's like funerals. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's him and Mary Jane, I guess, like dancing slowly at the end and it ends. Um, but you you expect something more triumphant, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Yeah, especially for a Spider-Man story. And one of the things I found really frustrating by the end of this movie was the fact that the butler knew the entire time that it wasn't Peter who killed Norman. And he just yeah. didn't say anything to Harry for like, however long <laughs> that was and let Harry sort of go on this vengeful rampage. And then it wasn't until after Harry ended up in the hospital and went after Peter yet again and started remembering everything where he was like, oh, by the way. And I was just like, seriously, you couldn't yeah. <laughs> have mentioned this sooner because we totally didn't really need as much of the Harry and Peter fighting storyline as we got in this because it kind of ran throughout the whole movie until it was Mary Jane who was in trouble. And it's like, okay, dude, You've been around for a very long time and you're just now telling Harry this when he probably could have and probably deserved to know sooner rather than later. Yeah. So you're saying the butler's the real villain here. Is that a twist <laughs> that we should have oh, figured out? Another or? One. <laughs> it's like, wow, we thought we had three villains. Now we have four in this movie. He probably knew everything Norman was up to, though, if you think about it. It's like, how could you be there of and course. not? <laughs> right. And why, yeah, they never really explain or detail why he doesn't say anything. Did he have some kind of, I don't know, blackmail or something that would get out if he told or something, you know? Like, no that idea. would have made more sense. Like, if you tell anyone, I'll kill your whole family, you know? I don't I don't understand why he uh, why he didn't come clean earlier, I guess, yeah. Yeah, it, it was a very strange move. And I feel like they just wanted to play out that Harry and Peter storyline a little longer, but then... When we were getting flashbacks to scenes from previous movies, I was like, all right, you guys, let's speed this up a little because we're let's lingering this on thing. this a little too long. And the movie was, what, about two hours and 15 minutes, give or yeah. take, I believe. And it's like, yep. all right, that was a long, long time to not really tell me anything. <laughs> what are your thoughts on Topher Grace as Venom? Like, I mean, Topher Grace is like a an actor in, the, in these movies because I... I Remember, he was up for the role of Peter, like in the beginning of these, uh, in the casting process, I guess. Honestly, I didn't find him quite as believable as Eddie Brock. I felt like mm -hmm. maybe this is because we recently saw 
Tom Hardy play the same character and he's like a much bulkier guy, <laughs> but mm-hmm. Eddie Brock kind of just seemed like this skinny, nerdy photographer dude, which is exactly Peter's role. Mm-hmm. And so it yeah. felt like they kind of had two Peters going at the same time instead of a Peter and an Eddie Brock. And while Eddie Brock, you know, is a photographer in Venom as well and, you know, sort of tries to investigate things on his own, I just feel like they didn't flesh out the character enough for me to care too much for Topher Grace in that role. And I was very confused by like the vampire teeth at the end. I was like, uh, no, I don't think this is what happens to Eddie Brock, but maybe I'm wrong. And, you know, his venom teeth start to come out and sort of just stay there halfway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's funny that they're like, how do we, how do we get these characters together? And then they just have this weird, like awkward meeting in an alley, you know, like with a uh, Sandman and, and Eddie Brock, where he's like, you want Spider-Man dead? I want Spider-Man dead too. We should kill Spider-Man. You know, <laughs> it's so cheap. It's like, I don't know. This movie is the opposite of smart when it comes to character development and how you kind of weave characters in between each other. It's so obvious and cheap. Um, none of they, It all works independently. Nothing works like one story, you know? Yeah. It's like, it, it feels like three movies that are crammed and edited into one sit down, you know? Especially because they add these three or four major new characters. You have Captain Stacy, you have Gwen Stacy, you have Eddie Brock, you have Flint Marco. And all of those characters have so much backstory to them in the comics to where you're like, oh, why did you do this? That's too much. Because at first Eddie's dating Gwen and then they're not, or he thinks they are anyway, and they're not really dating. And then Peter's kind of dating Gwen and there's just way too much going on in this movie for any of the stories to really feel compelling it's like mj had the most compelling story because we saw all of the emotions she went through every time something happened to her whereas peter had like no emotions the entire time until mj broke up with him because that's what it took for him to realize oh wait i haven't been as present as i thought yeah exactly yeah i really do like kirsten dunst in these movies she does a great job with them and yeah, I guess she's the only one who really gets, you know, it, it becomes Mary Jane's story at the end, you know? Yeah. Where she ha- and him kind of have that moment at the end where he's safe and she's happy, you know? Um, like, she's the only one that wins. The audience doesn't win and Peter doesn't win. It's it's her that kind of wins. And, you know, the women always do in the end, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, it's funny to see her in this. It's funny to see Bryce Dallas Howard, too, because... Um, you know, she was up for the role of Mary Jane at the beginning as well. And wow. <laughs> it would have, you know, it's funny to see her, Bryce Dallas Howard and blonde and Kirsten Dunst and redhead when it, you know, they're the opposite in real <laughs> life, you know? Um, that is funny. So that's funny in this too. And then they, Frank Connors, like scientist guy as oh, well. Oh yeah. Dr. Connors. Like, totally, yeah, they, totally forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. They were, I guess, trying to do... Um, the lizard or whatever his name is, lizard man in this or the next movie, you know, or in Spider-Man four or whatever it would have been and never happened. So that's another character that's in this that really his only purpose is to tell us about the symbiote. Like, Oh, this thing is crazy. Like we already know we were watching it, uh, you know? 
Yeah, and I think they alluded to Dr. Kirk Connors mm -hmm. in the second movie. Like, Peter walked by him real quick or something, and he was definitely right. present beforehand. So then it made you think he was going to play a bigger role in this movie, and he's just a professor, and that was it. That was the end of it. And you're kind of like, but why? Why did you give us all these little tidbits? And I guess you could argue that, you know... Spider-Man Homecoming did that too, because you have the Prowler who makes a brief appearance, you have all of these villains who play more minor roles, and they kind of tease you a little bit with that. And then Far From Home came out, and it was a totally different storyline because he was off in Europe. So it'll be interesting to see if, you know, that third Spider-Man movie brings back the Prowler or something. And mm sort of yeah. follows through whereas this movie didn't get to and maybe that's because Sam Raimi did have you know four or five movies planned because they certainly packed enough characters in this one to justify at least a movie or two after it yes I totally agree and um you know I think Sony was the one that wanted the Connors slash lizard guy in here um and Sam Raimi was like no, I'm, I'm serious. I've got to wrap up this Harry thing. I've got Mary Jane. I've got, you know, I've got a whole movie to make here. And, you know, they wanted that. But, you know, ultimately it, it happened. And then, you know, Sony ended up winning in the end because they canceled the next Raimi movie and then ended up making the Connors Lizard movie without him, you know, with the first Amazing Spider-Man is that's the villain in that. Um, and they kind of fleshed that out a little bit more there. But, um, you know, and it's done pretty well in that. I, I guess like from a effect standpoint everything like it looks good it's mm -hmm. it's kind of what you would want from that character on screen but other than that yeah it's it's pretty it's pretty rough around the edges for this movie the only like i said the only highlight for me is that uh is that um sandman scene yeah i do quickly want to talk about sam raimi's ability to add in horror elements to these movies because he did that so well in the first and second one and i think this one, he tried to do it a lot more with the flashbacks, you know, Peter having nightmares about what happened to Norman and things like that. Mm -hmm. And those scenes didn't work quite as well, but like the scene where Harry starts remembering after the accident and it's just these quick cuts and, you know, you can tell it's sort of giving him this massive headache. Sam Raimi does such a nice job of framing certain shots to just look like they're straight out of a horror movie and you know he had a great scene with doc ock previously and i just felt like he wasn't able to really top that hospital scene with doc ock because it was done mm. so well but i would love to eventually see sam raimi get another shot at a superhero movie where he can put more horror elements into it you know i was very excited for New Mutants when I heard about that. And who knows if we're ever actually going to see <laughs> that. But I would love to see a Sam Raimi version of something like that, where you take maybe these darker heroes. It's hard to do with Spider-Man. He does it well with the villains, because I feel like that's a little easier. But with Spider-Man being the kind of character he is, it doesn't mesh as well, especially when Peter goes dark in this one. You're just like, eh, no, no, thank you. That's not kind of the Peter we love and know. And <laughs> I feel like there are so many other characters out there that would be better suited for Sam Raimi's sort of horror element style of shooting a film. And, you know, you could do something with the Punisher down the line or, you know, so many other characters that have these dark storylines that don't make them wear a bright red and blue costume. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, I'm I'm pretty much a Ramey fan. Uh, you know, he's a guy that has to work in the system a lot of times, and there are going to be compromises, and um, we've seen good results under that. But I agree. I would I would be interested to see if they brought him back into the MCU, what he could do, you know? Especially since it does seem like the MCU is allowing people to sort of stretch their creativity with things like Thor Ragnarok and the upcoming Doctor Strange looks quite a bit like a horror fantasy movie almost. And I'm pretty excited Mm -hmm. for that one just because with Doctor Strange, you can do so many different things that you can't do with other characters necessarily. So yeah, definitely. I would love Sam Raimi to be in the MCU for some sort of movie along those lines of what it seems like they're going for with Doctor Strange. Yeah, he's a guy that doesn't work too much. I think he's developing uh, another horror movie. I saw that come through like maybe yeah. a month ago or something. Yeah. I forgot what it's called, but it's he's coming back to horror. So that's good. Um, you know, I like The Evil Dead. I like Drag Me to Hell. I like I like Sam Raimi as a as a filmmaker. But, but yeah, it's a disappointing note to end on for him. And, and again, I sympathize with this. He's been public about like his distaste for this movie. He's like, it's not good. I, I know. I'm sorry. You know, it's my fault. But um, at the end of the day, we're the, we still have to watch it, watch it. And it's, it goes down, in my opinion, as one of the more disappointing movies in my lifetime. You know, just mm-hmm. considering where the first two Spider-Man movies were and how important and good they were, really. Yeah, and again, it's not necessarily even Sam Raimi's fault. Sometimes when you have a property as big as Spider-Man and the surrounding characters in the Spider-Man universe, the studio is going to want a whole lot of things going on, and it's not always going to be good for the movie, and this is definitely a prime example of that. And you always hate it when stories get cut short, too. And you could tell with this one, there was just so much more of that Raimi wanted to go for, but it was never able to hit that level because of those sort of restrictions that he was working with. Yeah, this is definitely, it reeks of studio interference, you know, and it's funny because, you know, I bet the studio was more, was very involved in the first two films, but they got, I think they just got cocky with this one, you know? Yeah. They, they probably marketed the crap out of it. They spent a ton of money. They were so so confident that it was going to be the biggest movie ever that they felt like, well, the more characters we have, the more money we'll make, you know, essentially like, because, uh, you know, we'll get the people that wanted to see the Sandman in the theater. We'll get the people that wanted to see Venom in the theater. We'll get, you know, all the original fans in the theater. We'll get all the people that love Broadway shows in the theater, you know? (laughs) So yeah, I I don't know, but it's just, uh, (laughs) <laughs> you know, somebody had to, this, somebody had to write, you know, I'm, I'm sure this made money. I think this actually made the most money out of all the movies, which is, which is crazy when you think about how good the other two were, but at the same time, this is so hyped up. And Yeah. looks like 890.9 million. That's a lot of money. <laughs> so yeah, they were definitely in the clear, but I would uh, definitely hedge my bets on the fact that the first two movies are doing better on the home video market. You oh, know, for sure. Later. And this one had a massive budget too. The budget was two hundred and fifty-eight million, which you see movies today with that budget, and they look way better than this. And obviously, that's because technology has changed so much. Yeah, but Avengers Endgame was two two fifty. Yeah, exactly. You look at Avengers Endgame, and you're just like, these were made with roughly the same budget. Are you sure? 
yeah, I, I mean, they must have put a lot into that sand character because, yeah, I mean, like I said, that first action scene, it's maybe the worst Spider-Man action scene in any in any of them um, with with Harry and and Peter doing the chase through the alley. So, yeah, it was not ooh, good. <laughs> it's it's rough. It's really rough. And hopefully I don't have to watch this one again for a while. I have no desire to. You know, you mentioned off the top. You're like, I hadn't seen this one since it came out. It's probably because you had no you know, like unconscious desire to see this again. You know, your body yeah. was telling you no. <laughs> exactly. I appreciate you rewatching it for the purpose of this podcast, though. And obviously, yeah. we can't go without mentioning J. Jonah Jameson because he provided <laughs> 99% of the comedic relief in this, I would say. Easily, you have that scene where Betty just keeps buzzing his desk mm -hmm. and he's just spilling pills everywhere and she's telling him, to take his pills and he grabs one she's like buzz nope next one buzz nope and then he just spills them all everywhere and it was such a great j jonah jameson moment to where you almost forgot for a second how bad everything else was yeah exactly yeah jk simmons is so great in that role um it's such a highlight of those first two movies and it's the one of the only highlights of this movie I mean, he's become so associated with that character that mm -hmm. uh, I think they recast. I think Lawrence Fishburne was him in in um, the Amazing the, Spider Man uh, Amazing Spider Man series, but like the MCU, they never recast him because they just couldn't get out of, get out of their head. Every time they're trying to think of him, they're like, "Okay, who's like J.K. Simmons?" You know, and Nobody. then they just thought to themselves, <laughs> "Well, let's just get him back," you know, and and that little Easter egg at the end of I guess it's Far From Home, yeah, where where he's basically Alex Jones now is so good. <laughs> and I can't wait to see if they push that further in the third of these Spider-Man movies, the new ones. Yeah. Like conspiracy theorist guy is is a hilarious uh, twist on that character in 2020 or whatever it'll be, or 21 when that comes out. So yeah, I, I just love that character as well. And and he's done perfectly in that first movie. Um, and in the second one, and in this one, he's one of the only uh, highlights. Yeah, well, I think that's a good place to wrap this up. Before we go, though, I quickly want to let you all know about our Patreon. You could support the podcast for a dollar a month. That'll get you a thank you on the show. $5 a month, you get to pick a topic for the show. And you can find us at Geekdom Pod on Twitter and Welcome to Geekdom on Facebook and Instagram. Kent, again, thank you for rewatching this. I'm sure you're good for quite some time now, if not for the rest of your life. So I really right. appreciate it. Thanks, Deanna. Thanks for having me on. And um, I'm excited to see what other movies you have in store for me down the line. Yes, we will definitely have you back on. And everyone go check out Kent's podcast, Mad About Movies. Great stuff over there. And as always, thank you all for listening. And we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.